Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Welcome the to the podcast. Oh yeah. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Should have some cool. I'm hot and I'm thirsty. Should have some Kool-Aid. Hey, Kool-Aid. Oh yeah. There was that old uh, Dane Cook joke, and I don't recommend listening to Dane Cook old stuff because it was foul. But there was a Dane Cook joke about the Kool-Aid man and how he would burst through the wall and say, oh yeah. And there, he wanted there to be a commercial where the kids were like, oh no, you just broke my wall. My right. dad's going to be yeah. home at <laughs> Dude, you are in so much trouble. Who's going to pay for this wall? Anyway, hello. Welcome. Welcome to the your- home. Of professional podcasting. You have your favorite beverage in hand, and you're ready to go. For me, that this time of year, that's either... Pumpkin Spice Kool-Aid? Ooh, I don't know if I would go that for that. I did manage so to gross. find Pumpkin Spice Creamer in the grocery store as your update from last week when I was so irritated by it. Finally. Finally. I, several people, it was all over Facebook, people complaining that they couldn't get pumpkin stuff in stores. I hoarded... Including regular pumpkin I hoarded the last four cans of pumpkin from Meyer the other day. Yeah. And then my aunt texted me with this wall of pumpkin. She's like, do you want any? And I was like, no, I'm good. I'll leave some for other people. But yeah. I, like, immediately after the podcast, I saw a post from my cousin Sandy on Facebook. It was saying, a, it was a Where problem. is the pumpkin? Why can't I get any? It was a problem. First it was toilet paper, now pumpkin. You can decide for yourselves which is more important. I sometimes feed my dogs pumpkin to get things moving. Well, all right. So then toilet paper would be important. Okay. Did not see it going that direction. That's, Welcome. That's, we're going to talk about something that else. That sounds like a matter of life and death. Hey, well, it's just kind of Depending a matter of Depending on how much pumpkin you give them, right? I guess. So. Um, I don't know how to transition from that, so <laughs> you can go ahead with that, and that's, that's your area of Well, expertise. that's the transition into the title of the, of the message and uh, I did a really bad job on Sunday of connecting uh, the concepts and the title. Uh, it, it was just a, a matter of neglect. And the reason that we called it Matters of Life and Death is as Paul was uh, preparing for this journey and, and going on this journey, he's going around and, and uh, providing life-giving encouragement to these churches as he's minding them of the new life that they have in Christ and what it means to live in that life and to, to um, encouraging them to persevere and endure under hardship and, and to continue to walk the walk. And then to warn them against the deadly threats, both from outside the church, from uh, what he describes as wolves, uh, and also those wolves in sheep's clothing inside the church when he warns the Ephesian elders that there's going to come a time when even from within your own number, from within the church, people are going to rise up and they're going to bring in false teachings and false motives and they will also be a danger to the flock. And so um, while protecting and encouraging life among the believers, it was necessary uh, to be mindful and, and be on guard against the, the, the threat of death that was coming through. So um, when we, I don't think you did a bad job. But <laughs> when we think about church, I don't know if we think of it with that sort of gravity. Mm. I think most of the time, uh, it's something fun. It's something good. It's something you know that is it's supposed to make you feel good. Yeah, it's it, something that works. You right. know, and, and that's we were talking earlier about progressive Christianity and the the lie that that is, and the that. 
uh, want to state for the record for anybody who happens to hear this, progressive Christianity is not Christianity. Liberal theology is not Christianity. It is another religion that uses the same words, but it is distinctly and definitively not uh, biblical Christianity at all. And so when we're talking about the, the matters of the church, we are literally talking about matters of life and death, not simply, and I want to make sure that, that we're clear, not simply temporal life and death. And that's true in, in many cases. Uh, many churches have opened up for the same reason that gyms and, and other places have opened up for mental health issues. The church is not primarily about your mental health. It, it helps. That's a benefit of it. Um, I posted an article uh, yesterday about marriage and the benefits, the, the temporal health benefits uh, of marriage. Uh, and I found the article to be incomplete and somewhat short-sighted because it was completely anthropocentric. It was, here's how marriage God says marriage is good because marriage is good for you. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the creative order. It is good for you because it is God's created good. So whenever we align ourselves with the reality that is God and we follow his commands and we do things according to the created order, it's not surprising that things are going to go better. And you know, even, even something as silly as our conversation about giving your dog's pumpkin to aid with moving things along there is a certain reality that I think we'd get back there. there is a certain reality that that we need to to recognize that things are supposed to go a certain way right and when they don't go that way we're going to have uh, natural consequences uh, whether we're talking about dogs or Some humans messier than others you know when we if we don't have a proper diet, we're not going to have proper function in our right. body. If we don't have proper exercise, we're not going to have proper function in our body. But life is more than the body. It's more than that. And so when we look at church through anthropocentric, human-centered eyes, there is a benefit. Mm-hmm. But we are not part of the church if we, if we only see that benefit, that, if that's the only goal is just one more uh, human mental health advantage, like going to right. a gym or, or going to a therapist to or whatever else. To feel better now. That, that idea of my best life now is antithetical to what we see in the Scripture. Right. What we are called to is our best life period because we are in the God life. We are walking with our Creator. We are fulfilling our purpose. Not what makes me feel good, what makes me function well, what, you know, the, all of those kinds of things. It's not just that uh, you know, I, I enjoy this and it's, it, it, God wants me happy, so if I do happy things, then, then life is good. That's a hedonistic perspective that is no different than the world, just finding a different tool for it. That's not the same as what Piper would call Christian hedonism, which is pursuing my highest pleasure, Mm -hmm. which can only be found in God. Christian hedonism is going beyond the temporal sensory type things, the sensual things of life, so that um, I love pumpkin spice latte because it's it's tasty and yummy, so I should go after some some pumpkin spice stuff. Uh, It's bigger than that. Mm -hmm. It's God gave me taste buds. God created this. God created so, pumpkin. As, so as I enjoy this pumpkin spice little Debbie thing that I had discovered the other day, which is quite good, 
what if I am enjoying this thing, it's not primarily for my pleasure, but primarily for his glory as I enjoy this in my pleasure. So our primary purpose then is knowing that God has given us all things richly to enjoy, I need to enjoy them in that framework, enjoy them in him. Coming back to church in matters of life and death, what Paul recognizes and why he in love continues to build the church, he, he was recognizing that we're all in this together, not because just because it's good for us in this temporal realm, but because we are all one in Christ. We belong to him. The focus of everything we see from Genesis to Revelation And this was the big shift in Paul's life. It's the big shift in in all of the disciples that walked with Christ, the apostles, um, in the book of Acts, is going from this is a thing we believe, religion, to this is life and death. Christ, not, not Christianity as a human religion, but Christ is life. Everything else is death. And so... That drives everything that we see in the book of Acts. It drives everything that Paul does. It drives everything that he writes later. It drives everything that we see throughout the Old Testament from from Adam and Eve through the prophets. God created us for this perfect, intimate relationship with him that is life-giving because he is the creator of life. And so if if we are in him, then we have the fullness of life. And if we are not, then we do not. We're separated from the life giver. Therefore, from Genesis 1 and 2, where we see the created order put in place, everything is good, even very good, in humanity and and human relationships being created in God's image. God has created all things, from molecules to, to galaxies, to bring himself glory Mm -hmm. and in the process of us fulfilling that purpose and glorifying god finding our full satisfaction pleasure fulfillment in him then we find that that we have the life we have a reality in genesis 3 we started to look for reality in something else. We listened to an interloper. We listened to a voice that was not God. We sought to be like God rather than to be in God, rather than to to recognize, I already am like God, as created in his image. And therefore, everything that he's given us to enjoy, this is great. It's for my good, for his glory. But then the serpent says, you know, God's holding back from you. Oh, no. Forget that he gave us everything in creation except right. this. we got to focus on this. And we were deceived and brought into death. And the rest of the book is the illustration of the fact that life is in him, death is apart from him. Every time we try to do things that, that you know, want to be like the rest of the world, Israel goes through this over and over again. We, you know, God blesses them and they... You know, they aren't satisfied with that. They're not satisfied with him. They want the blessings, but they want to be like everybody else. We want to live in this life and still have the benefits of having God on our side. That's not how it works. So God gives them laws that we see as restrictive, but what it really is is guarding against death. And he says, don't intermarry with anybody else. We see that as a race thing. It had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with the fact that if you bring in these these who are separated from life, 
you will be deceived and sucked into this. And it happened every time. So there was always the opportunity for Gentiles to convert, to, mm-hmm. to uh, give up and renounce their pagan ways and to come to the Lord according to, to the law. But that's not what happened when they intermarried. They intermarried, and then these foreign wives in particular, uh, presumably also uh, uh, when you would see uh, a a wife marry a foreign husband, she would leave culturally. She would then leave and go. But, But specifically, when the Jewish men would marry foreign wives and bring them into the nation, they would pervert the nation, much like we see in Acts 20 with the idea of wolves coming in. Wolves coming from within your own house, from within your own number. In the church, we're going to bring in false teaching. We're going to bring in, whether it's liberal progressive theology, which is different than politics, although there, there is a tie at, at various points. When we see um, folks that, that come in and, and want to say the Bible is authoritative, we believe in the Bible, except when we disagree with it, and then we're going to go ahead and make up our own thing. It can't really mean that. That whole dynamic is illustrative of what happens when we fail to guard against that which dilutes our our commitment, our our devotion, our uh, our hunger for for the Lord personally, and we want stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you can picture. I don't think it's that hard for us to picture a spoiled kid who uh, is more interested in mom and dad giving them shiny, fancy, nice gifts than in in the love that mom and dad provide. So they might even associate that with that. Yeah, and, and we we see a life that is ungrateful a lot of right. times in those types of things. You know, that's oh thanks for that Christmas present, but that's not really what I wanted. Or what know? else you got? Right. <laughs> it's yeah. never enough. You right, know? exactly. And, and and that's a natural human tendency because of our sin nature. So the the naturalness of that is not a valid uh, justification for it. It's mm-hmm. natural for my toddler to focus on stuff and want more stuff until a storm comes and then they want me to hold them. But but it's natural for that. My job as a parent is to teach them that we're better than natural. Mm-hmm. You know, we are called to to learn something better, which is a reflection of what happens later when we receive the gospel of Christ and have a new relationship when we're reborn. But we can set that up by teaching our children discipline to to delay gratification to teach them gratitude to have a life of gratitude uh, we're going to smooth the path for them like john the baptist did for the lord if we don't do that then for them to come to christ requires a, a much more harsh experience to grab grab their attention mm-hmm. that's a difficult thing and that's a responsibility that we have as parents to make straight the way of the lord for them to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the lord um and so if we don't do that, then we are teaching them this man-centered view that says, uh, I can have my best life now. I want more stuff. I, I want a better, healthy life. I, I want to learn how to be respected and to be popular. Uh, I've got musicals popping into my head as I say these things. Popular. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you, I, can, I can do all these things. And, and then the highest good is whatever brings me to that best life, whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good. So then uh, I, I pursue that at the expense of the real life that we have in Christ. So uh, I'm 
veering away a little bit, but I wanted to make sure that we that we cover why this actually is a matter of life and death, and why church, not just you know a building or the concept that we're talking about, but being the church, actually dwelling together as one body, uh, the body of Christ, is a matter of life and death, and. When I say that, I want to go even farther. This is why church membership, being in a committed relationship with a local body of believers, so that you know I can I can have a face. You know, when we're sitting here together having a conversation, it's not a theoretical. It's right. one of the reasons we do the podcast the way we do is because when we started out and I did it by myself and I'm just talking to the air, right. it's not the same thing. Right. Now there's just theory and concept and ideas, but it's it's not the same right. when we're relating. In the process of this, even if I keep rambling on and dominate the whole conversation, there is an interaction between us that takes place. So that's and even I don't think did we originally start off live streaming? No, we did not. So I think even yeah. adding that element and adding a face to to that uh, makes a difference. You know, just being able to see, even though people can't you know directly converse back yeah. with a video. It brings more of a, a relational right. aspect yeah. to it. It's still not the same as being in the room, no, right. but it's but it's more. It's one step you know, closer. Yeah, and and that's why there's a difference between virtual church and right. Zoom meetings right. and actually being gathered together, uh, physically present in the same area. This, this last week at, at uh, Real Life, I felt like, maybe I could be wrong, but it felt like since the first time since this pandemic started that there were some familiar faces that haven't been here for a long time starting, starting to, to come see folks back. Trickle back in, and that yeah. feels really good because it does feel like my family's coming back. Yeah. And and we've gotten some new faces too and that's wonderful. Right. Um but it does it 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 brings something and I can't find the right word for it but it it feels good to have that familial connection again face to face even if your face is behind a mask. <laughs> well, and as you say that I, I feel like I left something ha- hanging earlier that the the personal um, temporal benefits of church or of marriage to re- relate to the article I posted yesterday. They're, it's not that they're untrue or that they're mm-hmm. less than good, but they're not the point right. and they're not the highest good. So the highest good then in us being the church together and gathering together and being connected with one another is not the benefits that it brings, mm-hmm. although the benefits are real. It's that we are gathered in him it's the it's the central focus of the church uh whether we're talking about a worship service or a you know getting together just to pray together or or just to do life together monday through saturday christ is the focus christ is the point he is the end game that's where we're going the whole the whole focus of everything is for us to recognize the centrality and the supremacy of christ in, over, and through everything. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes church, being the church, that's what makes that a matter of life and death. And that's what, again, changes for, for Paul and everything else. When, when we recognize in marriage that the, the highest goal for marriage is described in Ephesians 5, as Paul lays that out, that when a husband and a wife fulfill the God-given roles that... that are built into marriage, regardless of what the culture says. When when the husband loves the wife the way Christ loves the church, laying himself down, serving her, uh, for the purpose of, of expressing Christ to her, 
that he takes that spiritual leadership responsibility role. That doesn't mean that, that at least at the beginning, that he is the, the more mature necessarily, right. but he recognizes I have a responsibility to my wife and to my children to lead them, to lead them to the cross and to lead them in Christ. When that happens, he plays the role in the, I call it the cosmic drama a lot of the time, he plays the role of Christ so that the world can see that. And when the wife submits to the husband as Christ submits to the church, then in the same way, she is playing the role of the church and demonstrating for the world, this is what following Christ looks like. Mm -hmm. I don't always have to, and this may sound strange when I'm talking about the Lord, I don't always have to agree or to like what the Lord tells me. Mm. But I recognize that I'm following him he is my Lord. Uh, and I recognize that even as I say that, there are a lot of people that are about to, to freak out. Wait a minute, you just said the husband is the Lord. Well, yes, I did, but not on the same level. And, and that does not mean that women are doormats or anything like that, but that we each have a role to play in this for the purpose of illustrating God's relationship to his people. Exactly the same as God, that that that. Human marriage, sexuality, family picture that God has given us is the same thing he does in Israel. It's the same thing he does in the church. It's why God instituted in Israel a particular hierarchy so that uh, there are those who have responsibility for the rest. And there is a submission that goes on there. In the church, we're called to a mutual submission. And yet at the same time, we are called to specific roles of submission, not you know, only women to men, and it's not women to every man. We need to make sure we're clear about that. It's a woman to her husband, not to a gender. That's right. that's not how this works. It's not how it's laid out in Scripture. But more than that, husbands and wives submit to the elders of the church, submit to those that God has put in place as authority figures within that. And as we mutually, voluntarily submit to one another, then we are demonstrating the loving relationships that God has called us to, and we're giving a picture of what church looks like. When we see Paul, who has by this time, this is many years hence, uh, you know, as we've been looking at this uh, building from Acts 1 and 2 up till now, Paul wasn't even on the scene. He wasn't even uh, a player at the very beginning. He becomes a player partway in, although at that time he's the antagonist, or you know, one of the antagonists. Uh, he becomes a, a brand new born-again believer, a baby in Christ. And it takes time for him to grow. And he has to be built up by others and fed truth by Barnabas and by others as, as he is learning to walk in the faith. Then he becomes a leader of the church through, through the, the diligent study that caused him to, to learn more, through God's specific divine calling. And through, uh, and through his giftedness that God has provided. All those things come together to bring him to a position of leadership and prominence. Not in the ruling council of Jerusalem, um, but, uh, but as a missionary going out from there, as a uh, church planter, as a, uh, something of a pastor of, of these churches. And as he goes along and does these things, we've seen a growth process in him. It didn't happen all at once. But now at this point, he's gained some a, a bunch of notoriety. Mm -hmm. He's gained uh, many, uh, if I can say, followers uh, as he's planted these new churches and people are following him as he follows Christ. 
there are, we see in the uh, letter of 1 Corinthians, there are, are even those who are splitting because some want to follow Apollos, some want to Paul, uh, follow Paul. And Paul's saying, oh, wait a minute, you've missed the boat. This is about following Christ. We're just brothers in all this. We're, we're working together. But for him to then recognize it's not about me, even though he's the most famous Christian in the world at this time. Mm-hmm. But by the time we get to chapter 20, there's nobody in the church that is better known throughout the, the Roman Empire than Paul. Not Peter, not James, and none of these guys. They're all prominent. Those who are in the ruling council in Jerusalem, they're, they're hugely prominent within the church. But nobody knows as many people with as much love and prominence as what Paul does. And yet, he holds on to this humility of recognizing every, every human temporal thing that I have. It's garbage. It means nothing. What matters is faith working itself out in love. What matters is Christ. I need to get as many people as I can on this planet to get in Christ, to receive the gospel as I possibly can before I go home. And in doing so, I can't just walk away. I don't throw a seed and walk away. I've got to nurture it. I've got to come along and do everything that I can to help provide the growth process for these folks that others provided for me. So when, when we are going through Acts 20, and we'll, and we'll continue to see the same dynamic here in the next chapter or so, where we have this travel itinerary. As Luke is recording this, he's, he's starting to move fast. It's kind of been a slow development, and then we get to this place now where we don't need a lot of backstory. It's bang, bang, bang. We're, we're moving along. We went here, we went there, we went there. We went, and when we were here, here's what happened. And what we're seeing in chapter 20 is that those who belong to Christ belong to one another and care for each other as family. That was our core reality on Sunday. That's the core reality, big idea of this text. Paul sees all of these folks in all of these regions. I mean, he's gone from, uh, from uh, starts the chapter in Asia Minor in Ephesus. He goes up through Macedonia into Greece. He ends up back in the Levant later on. And in all of these things, all of these people from all of these backgrounds and all of these cultures, he sees them as one. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all united. We're all family. So because you belong to Christ, you belong to me. And I belong to you. And we're, we're in this together. And therefore, I will not tolerate anybody bringing false teaching into this family. I will not tolerate wolves among the flock. And you all need to know this. You all need to step up and make sure that you're watching out because it matters far too much for us to not encourage one another and build one, one another up. The issue, I think, with that, I'm, I'm kind of equating that to what I'm noticing today. Um, a lot of people, even even Christians, will take something like that and view it as you're being judgmental. Mm-hmm. You, Who are you to say whatever? Well, I'm not. I'm right. uh, the Bible. That's right. It's, <laughs> and, and that's the point. But it's when not it, my call. I'm right. just reading the book. But still, when you say anything or imply anything, yeah. it's very easy for people to get offended. And we're really good at getting. Well, offended. yeah, that's one thing that even with that the truth, really most often at. with the truth, yeah. most often with the truth, it's because truth hurts. Well, I mean, and when you have a Christian brother or sister who's not living right, and, and you, you say, "Listen, this isn't wise. This isn't right," right, they're too often offended by it, right? Because our focus is on. And don't get me wrong; I think everybody, to an extent 
is going to be offended before they receive it. So because nobody wants to hear they're wrong, right? So they might get mad at you and then right. come back, right. you know, a little later and say, you know what? Sorry, I was caught off guard at the time. Right. Uh, but but to adamantly, right. staunchly sick. be like, how could you say that? You're just right. judgmental. You're whatever. Right. Like that happens. Well, and and, and it sometimes it is. I, I I may have overstated what I was saying before that. You know, it's not us, it's just the Scripture. It is the Scripture, and yet we see a dynamic that happens in the Scripture from Paul and from others that here's what's explicitly stated. Mm -hmm. Now let me tell you some wisdom, because I've been walking this journey for a while, and beyond what's explicitly stated, this is, and this might apply to rules of modesty, for example. You know, I've got a 14-year-old daughter, and the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not wear yoga pants to school. But as a... As a father, I am bringing wisdom into her life that says, okay, here's what, what the Bible does teach us is modesty. And we want to make sure that, that because of who we are in Christ, that we are watching over ourselves. And so, therefore, here's some wisdom as to how you might dress. And not, not that you don't need to wear your leggings, you know, but, but maybe we modify some things, mm-hmm. you know, just... Is that in the Ten Commandments? Of course not. But wisdom is important. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's the same kind of thing. Not everything is explicitly stated in Scripture uh, that we should be bringing to the table to say, you know, this is, this is wisdom. You know, again, parenting, for example. I'm old. You're not old. And so my kids are mostly grown. Your child is not grown. So if, you know, if as someone who cares about you, cares about your family, loves both you and your son, I see you doing something that isn't wise parenting, then I have not only the right, but the obligation to come to you and say, hey, you know, uh, not, I'm not trying to get in your business, but we're family, so it's our business. And even right now, picturing this in that scenario in my head, I'm, I'm like, well, who do you, uh, he's my Absolutely. child, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it, that's what I want to, right. how I want to react. And, and, that, and that's, natural for us. I don't know of anybody that doesn't get a little bristly with things like this. But that doesn't mean that we don't speak to one another in love. That's different than judging and, oh man, you're just a terrible parent. You know, that kind of stuff. Excuse me. I feel that way enough all the time. I don't (laughs) usually. But wisdom does say, hey, you know what? It's probably not going to be really wise for you to to let your kid play with that razor blade. That's that's not going to be a really good thing. Or on the opposite end, you know, it's probably not the best thing for your child for you to, to hyper protect everything. So that which is going to be a, a tendency for a lot of us, uh, and, and probably especially as a single mom. You know, I've not been a single mom, but I can understand where that might be a tendency. Right. You know, everything you do, we're going to bubble wrap you and all that. And, and we, so we go from the, you know, the tiger mom, helicopter parents kind of stuff to the, what are they calling it now, free range parents, just let your kids do whatever. And neither extreme is particularly wise. Chickens walking <laughs> And some things right. are explicitly stated in the scriptures. You need to discipline your children. If you spare the rod, you spoil the child, the kind of stuff, which is completely you know, criticized in our world. But more than that, it goes on to say uh, repeatedly in Proverbs and elsewhere that if you don't discipline your child, you don't love your child. You actually hate that child if you don't bring artificial pain into their lives of some kind to teach them right from wrong. Because if your child grows up, 
I probably shouldn't be giving advice on this. I have a two-year-old. He's almost three. Um, if your child grows up and every, you've, you've made everything in their life as cushy as possible. I have a two-year-old grandchild, so, you know. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> and, and you make everything as cushy as possible. My opinion, having a child who's 18 plus or whatever, is that when they get out into the real world, it's going to be 10 times harder for them to function yeah. as, as an adult it, it, when it comes to getting a job, well, deal, right. dealing, dealing with people and, and knowing how to handle difficult situations and relationships and whatever. And that truth is explicitly stated in Scripture. How to play that out is not. Right. And so it requires wisdom. As we're going through encouraging one another, building one another up, guarding one another against external and internal threats, we need to recognize that there is no place in the church for us to say, mind your own business. Hmm. Because we are one body. It is all our business. So what I do with my kids or you do with your kids doesn't just affect the kid. Right. It doesn't just affect me and the family. It affects society. Right. And more importantly, it affects the body of Christ and the witness of, of, of the church in the world. So when we see all of these things as interconnected within the body and matters literally of life and death, then the idea of hey, just stay out of my family, stay, mm -hmm. that does not fly. Well, we've talked about, I know we're over time, but we've talked about this aspect of things that before That is shocking. Too. <laughs> um, the importance of the church family itself, uh, you and I have a relationship in where you can tell me something and may, I might not like it, I might not like to hear it. That has happened a lot of times. I, <laughs> I mean, um, I might not like to hear it, but we have that relationship where I'm not going to cut you off, which is also never... <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, you know, but I'm not just going to be like, well. But if I bring pumpkin spice, then that all is helps. forgiven. Yeah. But I can't necessarily, and, and, and other people in the church, I'm sure you have that relationship with, I have that relationship with some people, but it's different than, you know, an acquaintance or Joe Schmo on the street. I couldn't That's talk right. to them the same way. That's right. But there's a relationship and a, a connection with the, the church body in which you have a responsibility because you have that relationship to say something, right? to it, get involved. It, it's the authority of the relationship right. that allows us right. that and also requires that. Right. So if we're talking about my brother, for example, um, you know, there are things that I can say to my brother that I could not say to somebody else right. with the same impact right. because we have a, a specific relationship. But because of that, I also have the expectation. It is required for me because of that relationship to say certain things to my brother that I God doesn't hold me accountable for the guy at the gas station in right. the same way. Now that there are obviously, you know, greater nuances to this than we talk about in, in you know time that we have when we're already over time. But the the relationship is what gives the authority. And I think instances. we all need to do a better job of that. I'm thinking about, I went through a really tough year last year, and I know the people right now in our own church are going through really tough times. And I don't know every detail of what's going on in their lives, and they didn't know every detail of what was going on in mine at, at the time. And I, it, I mean, I'll ask you, is there a line for the church body as to, like you just said, you, 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 you don't get to say, mind your own business. Mm -hmm. But is there... What's the line there? Because, I mean, people weren't coming up to me and asking, well, how's your divorce going? Or what's your child custody case looking like? Or whatever. Right. And I didn't really want to talk about it anyway. Right. But should I have? <laughs> or should somebody in the church right now who's struggling with something open but up to But some people did. Some, some people right, were involved. Right, some people did, yes. So there are folks within that, obviously, if you have a church of 100, 
and how much more with a thousand or ten thousand? Right, 000. right. But if you have a church of a hundred, sure, there's going to be a portion. You can't have a hundred people right, right. dealing with every detail. Of your I think life. maybe so, in a smaller church, it seems more impactful because it feel, right. I feel like maybe five people talk to me about it out of a hundred or whatever. But, but you have the opportunity for right. that circle of, right. of influence, right. and so there are. If we think of, of relationships in general in terms of sort of concentric circles, uh, I think Rick Warren does a really good job with that in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, and talking about those relationships, that there are, are there's the community outside the church, and then there's the crowd, the people that are coming, but they're not necessarily connected yet. And then there's the, I, I don't remember all of what they are, but then there's the, the, the committed who are members, and then there's the core in the, in the center. And that's kind of how our relationships tend to work. You've got that most intimate, closest circle, the, mm-hmm. the people that, that you... Um, you know, have have the most interaction with that um, that you talk to about you know the, your divorce or your custody case or whatever whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, uh, like you knew more about it than yeah. Else and I guess the pastor is a little bit different, right? But, you know, in that, but yes, the, for sure. But like um, you know, I, without mentioning any names, I, I can think of some specific people in the church who were able to identify with that because they had gone through right. it or were going right. through it themselves. Uh, uh, folks who you wound up connecting with, perhaps because right. of that, where you right. wouldn't have previously. But everybody who was connected in the church Knew. at least was praying. Right. And, and and that's really, I guess I would wrap up with that thought. If we're talking about the, the church as, as a matter of life and death and the, the importance, the weight of belonging to one another because we belong to Christ and taking care of each other as family, then that has to be um, sort of covered with an umbrella of prayer. And we mm-hmm. see that with Paul and with the others as well. As uh, the focus in, in the narrative is very often on the action of going and encouraging and so on. Um, but it's never more than a couple of steps away from when we prayed together, mm-hmm. we prayed for this, and we, we prayed, and we, you know, we were listening to, to the Lord, we were studying the scriptures together. You're never more than a few steps away from that because throughout all of it, how do you, you asked, how do you know the line? I don't know that you always do know the line. Because I don't, if I know something's going on in someone's life, I don't want to be like, hey, I yeah. heard this. And but but I think the first step to figuring that out is being in prayer for them. That makes if sense. I'm praying for you, and I don't mean you know saying words, right. but if I'm you're earnestly in my thoughts, praying, you're in my prayers, yeah, you're which right. is uh, anyway, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I guess by not saying anything, I just did. Anyhow, it's more than words. It's more than no, saying I'm praying. Head. It's more than even praying words to God. It's engaging my heart with you as I engage my mind and heart with the Lord on your behalf. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing that. It is, I don't want to say impossible, but it is nearly impossible for me to judge you if I actually am invested in you emotionally and practically so that my affection for you as another cell in the body of Christ, if if we're in this together and what hurts you hurts me and what causes you to rejoice gladdens my heart, when this is how we approach it and we pray with that dynamic, it's really, really hard then to sit in judgment of somebody. Mm. But it makes it a lot easier for me to say, man, I, I was praying, I was talking to the God of creation on your behalf about this. Can you you know, just tell me how it's going? Mm. And we can work through these kinds of things. Hey, you know, I, I was praying for you and, and my heart goes out to you. And you know what, as I was praying and I was studying the scriptures, 
here's something that I noticed. And because I love you, I want to, I want to share this with you. And, you know, it, it puts us in a position where um, the, the personal investment then naturally leads to a healthier relational dynamic. And when we are, the prayer part is, is huge. And that's, that's where we entrust one another to our Father's sovereign grace. When, when we recognize that ultimately, I don't control any of this. Right. I don't make your choices for you. Right. God, God is the, the focal point. And so he's the one who is in control. He's the one who's sovereign over our circumstances and also sovereign over our choices. So when God then is the, the focal point through prayer, I can commit you to the hands of a loving God. And that's going to govern how I relate to you, how you relate to me, how we all relate to God together. Well, we're super over, so we'll stop there. Uh, but I feel like I could talk more about this, so maybe we will. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, any closing thoughts? Or is that a stupid question? Just that I recognized as we were talking that all but one of my grandchildren is older than your child. Well. So I'm old. You said it, not me. <laughs> uh, and we will end with And my kids are young and fertile, so there you go. It's true. Your oldest child is my age. Yes, younger, but yes. Like a year, maybe. Just to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now I feel old. Okay, we're going to end there while I go think about my life <laughs> and my choices. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us, somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. Uh, you can leave us a message on Facebook or a comment on YouTube since these the uh, video podcasts go up there as well. Or you can give us a call, which the number I always forget. 269-756-RLCC. I should It is hard to remember. It's not. Um, So there's that. It's the the age. Uh, So we'll (laughs) see you guys later. Thanks for listening.